Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, May 22nd, we are studying Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. Israel, according to the flesh, heard the life-giving word of God. They understood the life-giving word of God, but they did not believe the life-giving word of God. They were disobedient. They rejected the righteousness based on faith for a righteousness based on the law. But this does not mean that God has rejected his people. As he always has throughout history, he has preserved a remnant for himself, and he continues to provide for the proclamation of his gospel to Israel according to the flesh. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brian Flammy. Pastor Flammy serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flammy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it's great to be here. That was a great intro, too. Oh, well, thank you. Hopefully I didn't take too much of your, your thunder away. Uh, go ahead and, and give us some context. Fill in a few more gaps. We're, we're nearing the end of this section, verse chapters 9 through 11. What else do we need to know? That was kind of a summary of just that last section there in chapter 10 and a little bit of a hint of what we're going to get today. What else do we need to know from this section that will help us into our text for today? Well, right. This is, uh, I think, a continuation of a question that St. Paul himself brings up in chapter 9, verse 3, where he talks about, uh, let's see, he says, uh, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Yeah, He laments the fact that uh, though Christ uh, was, uh, uh, though Christ came to Israel, and though he was born of the tribe of, of Judah, nevertheless, many of his kinsmen, uh, many of his fellow Israelites rejected him. Uh, they, they rejected him, like you said, uh, even though they, they heard him, even though they saw him, they even understood that he was trying to take away their works or the dignity of their, the blood of Abraham and, and God's choice based upon those two things. And they said, we don't want what you're giving us, Christ. And so for that reason, Christ was persecuted and ultimately uh, handed over to Pilate, crucified, and he died at their hands. Uh, that's a big ch- part and a big theme of St. Peter's Pentecost sermon, as we know. Uh, he, he points out that they were the ones who are responsible for crucifying the Lord of life. But that doesn't mean, and this is, this is going to be the key thing for today, that doesn't mean that they are therefore rejected and hated by God forever, or something like that. Rather, and this is sort of the mystery of the gospel, even though what they desired to do was to to hurt their Savior, uh, God worked in those circumstances, according to his good and gracious will, to achieve their salvation and their righteousness, not by works, but by the reconciling, atoning death of his beloved son. And so St. Paul makes this very clear in the uh, material leading up to chapter 11, that it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking of Israel only according to the terms of lineage and descent. However, in the Holy Scriptures, St. Paul makes a convincing argument that Israel is, in fact, the people of faith, the people of faith. And he also points out that it's not as if all of the the, the descendants of Abraham, all of his lineage, had in fact rejected Christ. It's going to be a point that we make today that St. That Paul says, uh, look, I myself am a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I have received Christ you know, for my faith and joy and salvation. So therefore, you can't say that God has rejected and cut off an entire people. Rather, the true Israel is now identified as those people of faith. And that's why you can have Israel that turns away from God, like uh, uh, Elijah lamented to the Lord on Mount Horeb. And yet the Lord says, no, I still have a remnant because those are the people of faith. Those are the people that you may not be able to see with your eyes, Elijah, but, but I see the hearts and I can see who fears, loves, and trusts in me above all things. 
Pastor Flamey, in, in your notes that you sent me for today's text, you said that this text is heavy lifting. And, and <laughs> what, just as a way of introduction before we jump in and, and dig into some of that heavy lifting, why, why do you say this is heavy lifting? What's coming for us? It touches on some of the most challenging topics of the Christian faith. Uh, St. Paul, I mean, this is one of the most difficult and challenging sections of the whole scripture. Because St. Paul is staring face to is staring this question face to face, or, uh, or uh, I suppose you could say he's staring it down, right? And that is the question of election, and not just election, but the question of why some and not others. That's what's giving Paul such heartburn here. You know, why haven't my brothers, according to the flesh, my kinsmen, received Christ with the joy that they should have? You know, and 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 so St. Paul asks the question, he sets up sort of an opponent. Maybe he's had this conversation many, many times in the synagogues across, uh, uh, you know, Greece and, and Asia Minor and up and down uh, the Levant. Nevertheless, he brings it up because he knows that people will ask, well, doesn't it mean that God is being unfair? These are his people. He should make sure that if anybody's going to be saved, it's them. But he is crystal clear on election because the clearer you get on election, the more the more that salvation is dependent upon God and less on man. The more you push into election, the less it has to do with works and works righteousness, and the more it does with God's grace, gracious choice, right? And, and his gracious choice on, on, uh, for the sake of Christ's crucifixion, we should say. Uh, that, it, it, that nevertheless leaves open, or I suppose unknown is the better way to put it, the question of why then some and not others. Uh, I, in chapter 9, St. Paul uh, stops the argument from going too far. And he says that it's not for, you know, the, as, as you've talked about before, no doubt, that it's not for the, the, the pottery, right? Uh, the things that have been fashioned by the hands of the creator to then question the creator. So he cuts off that line of argument and lets us know how far we can talk about election and God's choice which is you only talk about God's choice in terms of his grace that chooses you and the world in Christ uh, to be reconciled to himself. But you cannot accuse God of injustice and of eternally electing some for damnation. Uh, in, and in fact, every time he talks about uh, is Israel's being pushed aside or cut off, it's always Israel's own fault. And we're talking about Israel according to the flesh. Uh, they are the ones who had God's word extended to them. They had the Savior in their, in, in their midst, right? But they would not believe. And that is consistent with the rest of the teaching of the Holy Scripture, that when it comes to election, uh, uh, there God chooses, and he extends the call of the gospel, and that, uh, uh, and that is where the Holy Spirit is to convert and to save. Nevertheless, uh, if someone is uh, condemned, it's his own fault. And, uh, and so I think that uh, this is uh, definitely part of what's leading in here. It's a very difficult question. Uh, it's so difficult that the old Lutheran theologians, they called it the crux theologorum, uh, the cross of the theologians. Uh, and that is the question, why are some saved and not others? Uh, and there's a way to answer the question. If you're, if you're a Calvinist, <laughs> that you assert a doctrine of double predestination, right? Mm. That you say that God has eternally elected some for salvation and he eternally elected some from re for reprobation. Uh, and that's an absolute uh, uh, choice, you know? And, and then you have the Arminian variation, uh, which is a, contrary to that, that God elects, and the old Arminians are much better about this than the new Arminians. They're much less... Pelagian, I should, I should say. They elect on the basis of, uh, or God elects on the basis of seeing who will believe and who will not, right? It's this sort of idea of in view of faith. Nevertheless, that locates elections, that locates election, God's, or the choice for salvation, uh, because of something in man, right? And so you can see a bit of synergism working its way in there. Lutherans, however, we say that the scriptures forbid us for peering into this mystery. This is a mystery that God holds for himself and his own counsel. And so this is where we are silent and we worship because here God has not given us 
uh, this knowledge, but instead he points us to the means of grace, to the gracious calling of the gospel, to the sacraments, to the place where God uh, reveals himself for us and for our salvation in the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, to view election rightly, then, is to view election in Christ and in nowhere else. I think that's, I mean, that's the phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 1, comes to my mind where he talks about election there, that it, it happens in Christ. And when we, I think you used the phrase earlier, when we push into election in Christ, we see that it is all by God's grace, has nothing to do with anything that I have done. And so in, in that sense, I think the Arminians don't push into election that way. But we also don't want to make the error that the Calvinists make and push beyond election into the hidden mysteries of God that God hasn't revealed to us in Christ. Rather, stick to what we can see in Christ that God has clearly revealed and let that be that and go no farther. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could always tell sort of a Calvinistic way of talking about election is, look, when you talk to a Lutheran about election, the Lutheran ought to be talking about the cross, the atonement and and God's choice for the world's salvation on the basis of his son's uh, uh, reconciling death and universally reconciling death. Uh, whereas if you talk to a Calvinist, he will usually, unless he's been unduly influenced by Luther or someone, <laughs> he'll be he'll you'll usually be speaking about God's sovereignty. So this is a very abstract and far away God of this primeval God that is, that is before time and history and space and anything else that happens in creation, like the cross. And instead, he'll assert God's absolute sovereignty uh, to send people to hell and, uh, and how that serves as justice. Well, that's not how the Bible talks. <laughs> like you said, it's always in Christ. God elects us on the, on the basis of Christ. And when we look into the mystery of the cross, what has been revealed to us there is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, this is a profound mystery. Again, that God uh, uh, in Christ reconciles the world to himself, and yet some reject, and yet some do not believe. But that, for if anything else, uh, should cause us to, to reach for those gracious promises of God uh, on the basis of the cross, that we are forgiven, that we are reconciled to our, to our Father, and that uh, as long as we rest faithfully in those promises and live in those promises uh, and strengthen those pro- and strengthen our faith in those promises through, you know, our frequent use of the sacrament, going to church, reading our Bibles, then we don't need to fear the cross of the theologians, this dark and mysterious question about why are some saved and not others. We commend that to God's will. And then we give ourselves over to the revealed will of God, which is our comfort. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and read the text and see how Paul deals with these questions here in Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, and they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? That is the text for today, Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. 
So, Pastor Flemmy, Paul starts off here in this chapter. He, he asks, has God rejected his people? You get this very strong, by no means. He holds up himself as an example, as you said. What's the, you, you did a little work with the Greek here in that first verse. What's the picture behind the word rejected used there by Paul? I like, yeah, that's, that's, this is great. This is why it's always a delight to uh, study the original languages and, and to read the Bible in Greek in the New Testament, you know. Uh, because when you hear the word reject, at least to my, you know, uh, my mind growing up in this, in this era of, the, of uh, arguments between the Lutherans, the Arminians and the Calvinists, to hear the word reject, I, my mind immediately jumps to like, maybe it's some kind of absolute rejection. Some, is Paul talking about uh, sort of a decree of reprobation? No, not at all. Uh, what this word for to reject is to push aside. Uh, uh, to to shove aside, <laughs> and and what I like about that is if we if we switch to, from sort of these technical theological dogmatic terms that have been twisted and warped around by various ideological parties, and you get into the the visceral, uh, tangible, physical language of uh, that's being conveyed here by this Greek verb, aposato, uh, that you you see it's Saint Paul is asking, did God shove aside? Israel, so that he could embrace the Gentiles, right? And what's funny about that is it reminded me of uh, the, 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 which makes very much so the same point, uh, the story of the prodigal son, or rather the, the, the story of the two sons from Luke chapter 15. Because you remember, you had the one son who turns basically Gentile to go live with the Gentiles, to eat the Gentile food, to hang out with the pigs, to be a sinner. You know, in the worst sense of the word, he staggers back into into his father's house, reeking of sin and filth. And his father embraces him and showers all this love upon him. And what happens immediately because the, to the older brother who had been there the whole time, he becomes jealous. And even though he's not rejected, what does he feel? Rejected. And you remember his list of complaints. You never once gave me and my friends a goat to eat, <laughs> you know, but his father sells him. Uh, no. You've never been rejected. You've always been my son. Everything I have is yours. But the son who was dead, right? Which is, in fact, the, the, according to the parable, that uh, he, Jesus is speaking about the Gentiles, a dead people, a rejected people, a people who had been cast off into sin. And look, now they have been found by the Father's love. And that is the very picture that, that uh, perhaps even St. Paul here has in mind of what it looks like from the perspective of the Jews that God has rushed to embrace the Gentiles by his grace and his love and with the reconciling blood of Jesus. Mm. Uh, and now, does that mean that the Jews are therefore rejected? No. What it does mean is that all are equally saved by grace through faith. And if you trusted your position in the house like the older brother did in Jesus's parable, if you trust that, uh, if, you, if, you, if you think that you deserve something from the Father, as opposed to the Father giving you all of his possessions and all of his riches by, by his grace and his love, then you are, in fact, further away from sonship than the sinner who just staggered back in, who has nothing to give to the Father, and it can only receive, right? That's the point. Uh, if you try to make your, your place in the Father's house on the basis of your own merit, worth, and works, you are, in fact, not a son because your place in the household is completely dependent upon the father and his love and his mercy. And both children have to realize that, right? Both the Jew and the Gentile. And if they realize that, if they rejoice in the fact that they bring nothing of themselves but, are only, but only receive the father's love by faith, then, of course, they both belong to the same household as God and our uh, heirs of his mercy. I really think that the picture of that parable in Luke 15 of the two lost sons is very helpful to lay on top of this text, particularly as we get toward the end where Paul mm -hmm. talks about the, his minute. Well, he, I guess he says this in the, in the next passage particularly, but that his ministry to the Gentiles is in part to make Israel jealous. And he brings this matter up of Israel becoming jealous. And you see that there in the, that parable that Jesus tells, you don't see 
the hope that Paul has for it, it doesn't doesn't play out there that we don't know if the older son came back into the party or not. But I really think that that's a and we can touch more on that when we get to that part of the text. But I think it's a very helpful thing to overlay here to get that that picture of God desiring to embrace both of his sons in this same grace in the same way. So. Pastor Flamey, before we go to our break, let's let's dig into verse two a little bit. Paul again has used himself as the example that God has not rejected his people because he is he's an Israelite according to the flesh, and he's certainly a part of God's people according to the faith. And and he says in verse two, he puts it this way: God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And that term foreknowledge, that's one of those heavy lifting terms that we've got. Yeah. God's God's foreknowledge can be talked about in different ways. How is Paul using it here? Okay, so we have, broadly speaking, maybe two different options. The first option is that foreknowledge uh, is God's omniscience, his knowledge of all things past, present, and future, right? Uh, and so it, it, that seems to make less sense than if you say that by foreknowledge here, we mean God's gracious foreknowing of those that he saves in Christ. Uh, that, uh, that, to me, makes the most sense here. And uh, nevertheless, it's good for us to think about this difference between God's foreknowledge and election, because our own Lutheran fathers saw that unless you make a distinction between the two, then it's hard to understand election as a, a gracious teaching for our comfort. And it becomes more of a philosophical problem that we get bogged down into. So take us take us into that, Pastor Phil. What What yeah. is this distinction between foreknowledge, election? Take us into that. You got it. All right. So the idea is that if if God foreknows everything, right, uh, then that his knowledge, uh, uh, his foreknowledge is basically an extension of his will also upon all things. That if he foresees it, it's going to happen. It can't be any other way. Therefore, how can God apply the terms of justice to those things, especially uh, uh, to how can God uh, 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 judge his creatures as moral beings if, in fact, everything's been ossified from the from the get go, according to his immutable foreknowledge. Uh, again, this is where St. Paul cuts off the argument and says, no, we don't say that. Instead, we see that God does judge creatures uh, who do have a kind of freedom, certainly not freedom. Uh, to resurrect themselves spiritually, to, to fear, love, and trust in God. Uh, but rather, they do have a freedom of rejection. And that is the, 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 this, this sort of contrary freedom towards God has been the curse laid upon Adam and his descendants. And so whenever uh, uh, man's uh, uh, condemnation and his uh, judgment is spoken of in the Holy Scriptures, it's always on the basis of his uh, turning away from God. And the Holy Scriptures never once charge God uh, with never once charge God with uh, 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 with injustice because of that. So the cause of so the cause of uh, uh, of turning away from God is always found in man, and yet the God, the cause of grace and mercy and salvation is always found in God. And so the Lutherans say that you can speak about God's foreknowledge. That's fine that He knows all things past, present, and future. But when we speak about God's judgment, we have to be very clear that God's judgment against man is always because of their rejection, their rejection, something that man does. Uh, but man's salvation is always because of God's gracious foreknowledge of them. Uh, and so that's and so that's the difference. So there's foreknowledge in a general sense, just the statement that God knows all things. And then there's also the uh, what we call election, which is God's gracious foreknowledge unto salvation in Christ. And Paul's point here is that. Uh, God has uh, God has foreknown uh, those faithful Christians in and among the people of Israel, and they are by no means uh, uh, excluded just because they're Israelites or something like that. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO, looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. We're going to shake, take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around.
Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran, including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss how we open during and after COVID-19 with Lyman Stone. It's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro. Dr. Kevin Golden will lead us in a study of the Book of Esther, and we'll get a review of the Netflix TV series Tiger King from Pastor Ted Geese. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. It is Friday, May 22nd. We are looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, with Pastor Brian Flamey, who serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flamey, prior to the break, we left off in the middle of verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, those whom he has elected by his grace, he has not rejected them just because they were Israelites according to the flesh. Paul is, is an example. And then Paul's going to bring up an Old Testament example. He's going to take us back to the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Give us the, the background of that account and how Paul uses it here in Romans chapter 11. Yeah, in 1 Kings 19, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible, actually, because you have this, uh, uh, this showdown at the OK Corral between Elijah, the Lord's prophet, and the prophets of Baal, which had basically uh, run run the religious show there in the northern kingdom under the reign of Ahab and his wicked, wicked wife Jezebel, right? Uh, And so on top of Mount Carmel, there's this great contest, and you have this great image of the prophets of Baal dancing and mutilating themselves, uh, uh, trying to get uh, uh, Baal to set their sacrifice on fire, and then you have Elijah sitting off to the side, making fun of Baal, saying maybe he's taking a poop or something. It's great. <laughs> and then and then he piously he, he assembles this altar made of 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sets the sacrifice upon the altar and it's drenched with water. And then he prays and he prays for the Lord's grace and mercy for his people. And the Lord, on the basis of his faithful prayer, answers with fire from heaven. And sets the, the sacrifice on, on fire. And then Elijah says, now, now's our chance. Grab those evil prophets of Baal and, 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 and let's put them to death. This is, this is a warfare, you have to understand. This is combat uh, for you know, the life and the salvation of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel uh, then chase down the prophets. Nevertheless, uh, Jezebel's power was such that as soon as it looked like Elijah had this victory, uh, she sicked her forces on him, and Elijah had to flee. And, uh, and, and he had to, this long flight uh, through the wilderness until he finally came to Horeb. And the Lord had to you know, send angels and feed him along the way with ravens and these sorts of things. And then when Elijah gets there, he feels, understandably, rather down. <laughs> that here the Lord has answered his prayer. He said, fire upon the sacrifice. And it looked like things were about to go right. And then he was forced to leave because, uh, you know, Jezebel's stranglehold on the northern kingdom was just so, so strong. And so he, he laments to the Lord. And he says, I'm the only one left. Everybody has turned. Everybody has worshipped the false gods. You know, every, they've killed your prophets. They've thrown down your altars. And I and I alone and left. So Elijah judges what he sees by human eyes. And what he sees is God having rejected, right? His people and handed them over to the rule of Jezebel at Ahab. But the Lord sees much, much more than Elijah does. 
And the Lord reveals to him a remnant uh, because the Lord, again, sees the heart. He sees uh, far more than what human eyes can see. He can see those people who have not knelt down to bow, uh, but who instead have worshipped the Lord by faith alone. And those people are the true Israel. Um, and so this is St. Paul's point. In the same way as Elijah had to have the, oh man, uh, if, <laughs> I don't know, St. Paul uses this language, so it's not pietistic, you understand. But this is, in the same way as St. Paul, as Elijah had to have the, uh, uh, the eyes of his heart opened, right? To hear and to believe and to see and to perceive the true church of God in those who hear and believe the gospel. So also that has to happen for St. Paul himself, and that has to happen for us. We have to be able to judge the church according to how God sees it and not as according to how we see it. So we see the Jews having rejected Christ and still staying in unbelief. That's how we judge these things. And that's what St. Paul's addressing. But St. Paul says, no. Learn to see this from God's perspective, but even among the people of Israel, Israel according to the flesh, yet there are some who hear the word of God and who believe it, you know? And, and here's the thing. Once we, once we get past the, the cliche or the, what are these universal statements like the Jews have rejected Christ, then of course, in personal experience, you know that what St. Paul says is true. And it's great. I have this, uh, this lady who is a teacher here at her school, uh, who grew up Jewish, you know, but she married a Christian man and she herself is very pious and indeed a true Christian, trusting in Christ above all things, you know. And so and so just from our normal experience, we've run into these folks who are Israel according to the flesh and yet are also Israel according to faith. And that's what St. Paul's point is mm. right. to see the, the church the way that God sees it, I think, is, is ultimately the key when he says, you know, just like there was in Elijah's day. So there is now there is this remnant and this remnant has been chosen by grace. And that's ultimately the point that Paul wants to make to see the church according to God's eyes is not to see Jew or Gentile, but to see those whom he has chosen by his grace. Yeah, those who he has chosen by his grace those people it, it, who do not justify themselves before God because of their works, right? Uh, it's ne- it, 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 and that really is, is the thing. So whenever, uh, whenever we talk about grace, we always talk about uh, the, the preaching of the word and the receiving of faith, the passive, rest, the, uh, the passive receiving of faith, uh, which was the huge topic in, in chapter 10, right? And that's and that's absolutely right. And by emphasizing grace, this remnant that's chosen by grace. I mean, we can even use this language of remnant to talk about the Gentiles, too. I mean, we look at the world and how much of it is still dark and unbelief. Right. Yet, nevertheless, among the Gentiles, there's this remnant chosen by grace who have heard the preaching of the Holy Word and have believed and who trust in it. And it's not necessarily this remnant identifiable with what we define as in worldly terms, the church. Right. So, you know, the Pope and his, and his people, they call themselves the church. But are they the church according to God's definition? No, because they teach a doctrine of works. And sadly, some people who belong to the Pope's church really believe what the Pope says about, uh, you know, uh, works contributing to righteousness that justifies before God. Thanks be to God, though, that and this is where I really love the fact that I'm a Lutheran. Um, uh, is that we, we understand that wherever the word of God is preached, right? Even in some of these, these, uh, churches that try to mix the pure doctrine together with the false doctrine of works, nevertheless, where the word of God is, is preached and read, uh, their people are going to be gathered to God by his grace and his grace extended to them through his promise, through his holy word, you know? And so this is, so I always find it remarkable. You know, when I talk to a Roman Catholic and they say, well, you Lutherans don't think we're saved anyway. And I say, well, that's that's not true. Let's talk about your salvation. In whom do you trust for salvation? You know, and I could that's what's wonderful is that we could show them from the Holy Scriptures and we could show them even according to their own hearts that they they cannot trust in their works to be justified before God. That the church is extended through all these different what are sometimes called denominations. Right. Uh, we only encourage the folks to, to, to come together in unity and confessing uh, uh, with the truth of the Holy Scriptures as we do here in our uh, evangelical Lutheran church. Right. Mm. And so, again, this is judging the church 
uh, according to in, in both you know, both among the Jews and among the Gentiles, according to how God sees it. And God sees the heart. He sees the faith that trusts in Christ alone for salvation. And that transcends all these other distinctions and boundaries that people have put up because of their false doctrines. So for Jew and Gentile alike, it is based on grace, not on works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace, Paul says. So then he, he continues his argument into verse seven. He says, well, what then? And, and this is another one of those places, Pastor Fleming, where you get the get the picture that perhaps Paul has had this. Con- he's not just writing this down with some imagined person who's objecting, but rather perhaps he's had this conversation in real life before. Yeah, I almost guarantee it. Uh, you, you could see that, that, that St. Paul, that you have to remember that in the book of Acts, the first place that Paul would go when he came to a new town was always the synagogue. And he would always argue to the point of conclusion in the synagogue, right? And conclusion being either that, you know, the people received Christ by faith or they rejected Paul and tried to murder him, <laughs> you know? And so, but he would always start there in the synagogue and he would argue. And he would reason with them from the Holy Scriptures, trying to prove that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, They're the, the, the long expected savior. And he would it, 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 and he would in that way preach the gospel to them. And so you can imagine many of these many of these conversations coming up and say, well, what is it? What do you what are you talking about? That God's choice, God's grace is now being extended to the Gentiles. Who are they? God's always chosen us. Why do they get to be included now? They've never had to live under the heavy burden of the law. Does this mean that God is rejecting us? You can, you see, this, this, this is a very natural argument. And one that was probably also, this is probably key here, one that is also familiar to the Christians who are living in Rome. You see, so even though Paul had yet to come visit them there in Rome, nevertheless, it could be that among the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, that there was a fair amount of tension and in and among the Jews themselves, there was probably an argument about the, the nature of the inclusion of the Gentiles in the Christian church there, much, which is probably a parallel to what the, the, the general conversation that was happening in the church at that time. That was the major theological question at the time, right? Uh, on what basis are people actually included in the, in the Christian church. And this is what happened at the Jerusalem council. It was St. Peter argued convincingly. It was, well, it's for, for the sake of Christ alone and his word and faith. And that ultimately settled the question about the status of both Jews and Gentiles in the Christian church to the point where the distinction became a human distinction and not a godly distinction. God sees the heart again, and he judges according to faith. So, uh, uh, so yeah, absolutely. I think that this is an argument that he's been having often. Uh, and, uh, and, and so what he, uh, what he throws in these various statements and, uh, and counter, counter, uh, or counters and rejections, there's probably the same stuff that he'd heard often before. So as he, he continues that conversation, then writing it down for the Romans, he, he's, it seems he's, he's wrapping things up here in verse seven. He says, Israel, and this would be Israel according to the flesh as a whole, they failed to obtain this righteousness based on faith. They rejected it for a righteousness based on the law. The elect, as he said, did obtain it. The rest were hardened. And, and here we get to a bit more heavy lifting with that term hardened. What Paul, Paul's going to define it for us in these Old Testament quotations. How, how should we understand this matter of, of the rest being hardened? Right. Oh, man. So you can see it in the, in the, in the stories of the Gospels, right? That uh, especially like in a chapter like John chapter 8, uh, you have some who believe Jesus, right? And others, the more Jesus presses, and he even presses with words of grace and mercy and gospel, yet nevertheless, the more against Christ his, the Jews become, uh, to the point where they pick up stones to cast at Christ, to force him out of the temple. Uh, this is the kind of hardening that I think that, uh, that I think that St. Paul is talking about here. Uh, this is, uh, uh, this is the hardening. That's defined by uh, that, that St. Paul tries to define by referencing Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 29, uh, Isaiah chapter 29, and uh, also David in the, in the Psalms 69 and 35. Uh, and this in, in the language here speaks of a kind of a, a stoniness of heart, a kind of hardness of heart that uh, once you say no to the gospel, there's a spiritual consequence 
of that. That once you harden yourself against God's grace and mercy, then in fact, uh, you fall further down into that pit of hardening. Now, I, sometimes I think that this is the, this is the trap, and this is what makes the word hardening heavy, heavy lifting. Uh, you can interpret hardening as God's eternal rejection, right? That once the process of hardening starts, uh, the people are lost, and they're lost for good. Uh, and, uh, and we, and we quickly assume that may, well, uh, that maybe, uh, St. Paul is speaking about here a kind of, uh, group of Jews who are permanently hardened unto death. Uh, no, that's, that's not exactly what he's talking about here. Uh, instead, he's talking about the, the Jews who are being hardened and, uh, so that they might become jealous of his, uh, of the Gentiles and God's grace given to them so that through their jealousy of what they failed to obtain through their rejection of, of God's love in Christ and also uh, what they failed to obtain through their works, through their jealousy of what had been given to the Gentiles, they, the stoniness of their heart might be broken. You know, it's kind of like God hands them over to their sin, like, right? So they reject God. They cling to the sin. God hands them over to the sin, but ultimately the sin itself crushes them and they see God's grace bestowed on others. And, and ultimately God shows them that this is for you too. So what St. Paul is talking about here in, in this hardening is a hardening unto repentance. I think I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a Roman scholar, uh, but when I looked up Lenski, I think he uh, indicated something similar to that, uh, th- that this is a hardening unto repentance, it's like not an eternal hardening and rejection by God, that there's no repentance here, but rather God's whole point in hardening them is, is so that they might see God's grace bestowed upon the Gentiles and therefore come to learn to, to desire that, to want it, to earnestly want that. Uh, maybe this is something that, that St. Paul himself could, could speak about in his own life. You know, he rejected Christ as a Pharisee. Uh, he rejected the Christians and the preaching of the gospel as a Pharisee, right? Hmm. And, and uh, nevertheless, despite the stoniness of his own heart, the Lord broke that stoniness by his grace and calling and word and granted him the gift of repentance. Hmm. And just as a kid, and, if, and here's part of the point, if it could be done for St. Paul, it could be done for anybody, right? It could, so this, we should never limit uh, to whom God's grace should be applied to in this world. That's not, uh, that's not for us to decide. Instead, it's for us to hear the preaching that the, the gospel is for the whole world, that God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ, and in that way, preach the gospel to the world so that we don't say, you Jews over there, you're hardened, therefore the gospel is not for you, right? And then speak to the Gentiles. No. Now, we preach law and gospel with equal conviction to all people. Yeah, I, I think I think you see that play out just in I mean, in in the gospels themselves, in Jesus own conversations, he spends quite a bit of time talking to the people that have rejected him, the people who are hardened against him, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And he doesn't I mean, he doesn't hold back any punches. He, he speaks some of his harshest law against them. But but what's the point? It's to break these stony hearts, these hardened hearts that they have. He hasn't given up hope that God's word is going to do what God's word will do. I think you, you brought up the example of St. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost earlier. The same thing is true there. He's, he says, you killed Jesus of Nazareth. You crucified him. Well, what then, Peter? Repent and be baptized. So this, this, this power of God's word that, as, as Paul says, right, it, back in chapter 10, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. He never, he never loses sight of that. Even in this matter of those who have been hardened among his own brothers, he continues to preach the good news to them. And I think this is where, to come back to to the picture of the parable of the two lost sons, I think this is where this becomes helpful. When you look at the father's actions toward his two sons. So he's he's pushed his older son out of the way to embrace the the younger and not in the sense that he pushed him away as if he rejected him but just said hey i gotta go hug the younger son who's my son by grace 
Mm. Well, what, is, what does he do then for the older son when it turns out that, that he doesn't recognize himself as a son? He sees himself as a slave. What does he do? He, he goes in an attempt to embrace that son and to bring him back through, through what, what has happened to the younger son. And I, I think that's the picture that Paul wants to bring up in verses. I mean, he's doing it here in this matter of hardening and, and particularly in verses 11 and 12 when it gets to this matter of making Israel jealous. The goal is to embrace this second son, this older, sorry, the first son, the older son in that same grace that the younger son's been embraced in as well. Yeah. Don't ever forget that to the older son, uh, the father says this son, you are always with me. I mean, think about that. Uh, if this is spoken to the Jews, what, what the, what the God, the father is saying to them is to you has been given the word, the law, the prophets and the promises of salvation, Right. God has always been with them by his word, even as they rejected them. That's the, that's the story of, of God's grace and mercy in the Old Testament is despite a hearted people, <laughs> the Lord in patience and in mercy stayed with them and never once revoked the preaching of the forgiveness of sins, even, after, even when because of their disobedience, everything else had been taken away from them, right? And, and the Lord continues, uh, and all that is mine is yours, Right? And that is a word of promise full of grace uh, that even as the older son is tempted to reject. I mean, so interestingly, Jesus leaves that story open ended, <laughs> right? Like you were said before. Uh, and, and so you can see that the, the, the older son may perhaps reject what the father is saying. But does that make what the father says and the grace extended through his word any less true? And the answer is no. God's grace is always there. For the older son, as it has always been there for the younger son, even as the younger son was off sinning, where do you find the father? But standing at the home waiting, right? And, and looking for the younger son. Uh, and and so, this is, so this is how we should see God's promises of grace and the gospel. That even as men harden themselves against it, and even as God hands them over to the hardening, that's, that is sometimes necessary to, to, to break them of their hardness, which is what St. Paul is talking about with, with the Jews. Nevertheless, the Father's words of grace and mercy are still absolutely true for them. If only they receive it by faith, right? Mm. Yeah. So, Pastor Flynn, we've got about five minutes left here on, mm. on the morning. And, and I think just to, reflecting on this text as a whole, and really this whole section of Romans, the distinction between Jew and Gentile is something I, I think we don't think about much in, in our modern American Christian context. And, and, you know, on the one hand, we're one church, as we said earlier, we are, we are all viewed by God according to his grace. That's the reason any of us are in the church. But, but sometimes I, I think that, that that lack of understanding, sometimes we miss why it was such a big deal for St. Paul, for the early church. And, and primarily, I imagine that most of the people listening are Gentiles. So what do we, what do we do with a text like this? How do we, how do we take it, apply it, find comfort in it for us as Christians today? Oh, it's easy. I mean, I mean, I say it's easy because you have to understand what makes Israel according to the flesh problematic is their imagined justifications apart from faith. And that is the problem of the church from the time that Christ ascended to now. That despite the fact that God extends his grace to us by his word, for the sake of the death of Christ alone, nevertheless, people have been holding up their own works, either next to the work of Christ or over the work of Christ, saying this too, judge me according to this in heaven by my works also. And that's how you fall into the errors of, of the papacy or the rejection of the sacraments, you know, that people are always trying to find a way uh, to elevate themselves to, uh, to participate, if not to take full control of their own justification and salvation. Uh, so this doctrine of grace alone needs to be proclaimed with as much fervency in our time, as it was in St. Paul's time, and the Holy Spirit has given us this text, not so that we can just think to ourselves, well, this is kind of antiquated. It's talking about Jew-Gentile problems. No, instead, he, want, he gave us this text to see the problem of those who are all trying to justify themselves according to works 
versus how God justifies according to grace. And, uh, and, and so for that, so that's how I think that we apply it, so to speak, to our own situation today. Um, and also it's part of the lesson from the Holy Spirit that the old distinction in the church between Jew and Gentile, right? This old disparity has been reconciled by, uh, uh, by understanding that God saves all men equally by his word and sacrament, right? That God is not a respecter of persons like we are. Uh, uh, but nevertheless, we still come up with distinctions in the church. So like, uh, uh, per, perhaps like the Jews of the, of the Christian, of the early Christian church, uh, maybe you've been a lifelong Lutheran. And now the pastor's had a young adult catechism class and he's brought this, a couple of young families into the class, but they don't, they're not really members of the church, right? Uh, they're not, they haven't been here for three or four generations like my family has. And these Johnny come lately's don't even deserve my attention, my love, my concern, my prayers. Uh, I don't even care to learn their names because they're not part of the church. You see this? This is judging the church and seeing the church according to, to human eyes, as opposed to seeing the church according to the word and faith, uh, which, which grabs up the, 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 the 11th hour Christians as much as it does the, the first hour Christians. Uh, and the true members of that church are the ones who hear the word and receive it with joy, as opposed to the ones who can say, well, my family was here when the, when the church was uh, well founded, you know, 60, 70, 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. To, to, see, to see the church with the Lord's eyes, to see the church through grace, not according to works, because Jew or Gentile, longtime member or recent convert, those who are members of Christ's church are there by his grace alone. Pastor Brian Flammy is the pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. Pastor Flammy, thank you for your time today. Hey, it's been great. Thanks. God has not rejected his people. Israel, St. Paul is witness to that. He is a descendant of Abraham. The Lord has received him by grace. The Lord has always preserved a remnant, but he does that not according to works, not according to bloodline. He does that according to his grace. And all who receive that grace, Jew or Gentile, are part of his church, that church that he continues to form according to the proclamation of of his word that word that creates faith in all who hear and believe that's the word that's been proclaimed to you and to me i'm your host here on sharper iron pastor timothy apple of grace lutheran church in smithville texas thanks for spending the morning with us talk to you again next week